Locked On Bulls, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, a show for the most passionate fan base in the NBA. And your number one source for Chicago Bulls news and stories. Twitter at Locked On Bulls, at Jordan C. Malley, and at Bulls underscore Pep. People have their opinion. What other falsehoods are out there? A lot of the perception things about us. Are players buying in, Jim? I, yes. Fair enough. Rebuilds are difficult. Sometimes it takes years and years. I still believe, given a a really good offseason with this draft pick that we have coming and with our ability to to get some veteran players in here alongside these young guys, we we can make a substantial leap. Kick back, relax. Locked on Bulls starts now. My job is to prepare the child for the road, not the road for the child. And these guys are men. Here are your hosts, Jordan Malley and Matt Peck. What's up and welcome into Lockdown Bulls, part of the Lockdown Podcast Network, streaming live on Dash Radio every Tuesday, Thursday, and Saturday, 10 a.m. Eastern, 9 a.m. Central Time. I'm your host, Jordan Malley, along with me is Matt Peck. Follow us on Twitter at Jordan C. Malley, at Bulls underscore Peck, and at Lockdown Bulls. Hit us up on our text and voicemail line, 331-979-1369, the place to do that. Welcome back from the weekend, Bulls Nation and Matt. Had a pretty good weekend myself, just thinking a little bit more about the Bulls and what they did on draft night. Also seeing some of the reaction, too, from Bulls fans. Makes me more excited, I feel like, more more so than ever. Most Bulls fans were on, on board with what the Bulls did on Thursday nights, and just the reaction we were getting from our text and voicemail line feels about the same, so that's good to see, too. So welcome back from the weekend, Matt. How are you? What's up, Jordan? What's up, Bulls Nation? Doing well. Um, had a nice weekend um talking talking draft talking free agency with a bunch of bulls fans um and uh looking forward to the week ahead obviously we've got the start of nba free agency just around the corner today's the 24th and of course it's uh what five five p.m central time that uh, free agency starts on the 30th, so less than a week away. Well, we are going to talk a little bit about Patrick Beverly and talk a little bit more about Daniel Gafford. Now, let's start with Patrick Beverly really fast, just because we're talking about the point guard position and talking about what the Bulls may or may not do. Obviously, now that we know that we have Kobe White, might hinder some of the plans of bringing in one of these second-tier Uh, point guards this summer, not talking about Kyrie Irving or Kemba Walker or any of those guys, elite guys that are going to sign max contracts, more the guys that are going to be anywhere between the eight to $15 million range. Patrick Beverly has been a name that's been thrown out there for months now. He's even teased Bulls fans on Twitter talking about a return to Chicago and would be much love for that. I think pairing him alongside Kobe White would be awesome. It's just more so about the price tag more so than anything else. So now that we have Kobe White officially a Chicago Bull, Chris Dunn's still in the mix, and it sounds more and more like that the Bulls want to keep him around and see how that that plays out over the course of the year with the with his trade value being basically nothing, hearing that from a lot of NBA teams. So Patrick Beverly, if he's asking $15 million annually, Matt, are you, if you're the Bulls GM, are you paying him that? I'm not. Um, simply, I don't think that... Uh the role that Pat Beverly plays is worth that money. Um, this this Bulls team has a lot of needs, and certainly veteran leadership and defense and a guy who can knock down shots to space the floor 
are some of those those most pressing needs, and Pat Beverly can offer all of those things, but but not at that price tag to me. Like splurging and and paying a role player like that in the mid-teens kind of money annually, especially over a long-term deal, which is what we're hearing Beverly wants and can and will command from at least one or two uh, or, or multiple teams when free agency starts a week from now. That's If that's the reality, then to me, the Bulls are a team that is not in the position to luxury spend on role players. That's something that teams that are on the fringe of, com- uh, of competing and making deep playoff runs do. That's not where the Bulls are. So to me, it's like, yeah, Pat Beverly would check a lot of boxes and be a nice fit. But if he is actually wanting a four-year deal and something like 14 or $15 million annually, I don't think it's a wise investment from the Bulls because like, they're, not, they're not a team that's just one overpaid role player away from contending. They're, they're like eight steps behind that right now. Yeah, you got to give Patrick Beverly the starting role, too, right off the bat. And I don't know if the Bulls necessarily want to do that with a veteran that they're going to bring in. But see, that's never been his role. He's always been a bench player. He's always been a bench player. He started in Houston, and he also started with the Clippers this season. I think Shea Gilgis-Alexander was coming off the bench for them, uh, especially in the first half, or the second half of the season. I think Patrick Beverly started those last 40, 45 games for the Clippers last year. But for the most part, being in the back end of his career now, uh, being in his early 30s, yeah, he's probably looking to transition more to a role where he's going to play 20, 25 minutes and come off the bench. But if he still wants to play that same role, there's going to be a, a few limited options for Patrick Beverly and where he's going to want to go and be able to do that. And I don't know if it's necessarily going to line up for him to be on a contending team and also start. So, yeah, I think it's going to be a decision about where he what he wants to do and if it's ultimately about the money. And for the most part, what we're hearing is, you know, it's going to be all business. So I wouldn't blame him either. I mean, he took a couple pay cuts here and there, especially when he went to Houston uh, to try to form a team alongside James Harden. Things didn't work out there. So. This is his time to get paid, and I don't blame him if he wants to. No, you know he's uh he's in position to make probably the the biggest payday of his career, and if that's what he's putting the emphasis on right now, I certainly I I don't judge him for it. I don't blame him, and all of those Bulls fans who really want Pat Beverly, I'm just I'm you know I'm wondering what they think is the the real wise investment there. To, to overpay a veteran who's going to come in and make your team a little bit better. But, I mean, to me, there's still so much focus or there still should be so much focus on what the Bulls are doing, you know, two years from now. When Markkanen, Wendell, and Levine are all in their primes, early primes for Levine, a couple years older, like really in the heart of his prime, and hopefully looking like a better, more interesting core and the Bulls are coming off of Otto's money and could have a huge splash. To me, I don't want anything to interfere with that, including overpaying Pat Beverly on a four-year deal. I just don't think it's that wise. Yeah, I'm with you, and I think it also sets you up too. Sets the Bulls up to sign, re-sign Ryan Archidiakono relatively cheap, but leaves them enough money to be able to do that if another team is interested in him. Going to be able to bring Shaq Harrison back as well, get another look at him for another year. You still have Walter Lemon Jr. too on a contract guaranteed for next year. So obviously that's not a big deal if they want to cut him or cut Antonio Blakeney. But still, you're 
you're kind of nitpicking at your cap space when you don't have you have cap space to work with but you don't have a whole lot uh, and you want to be very very cautious in the way that you spend that so I think it lines up for that and so you could potentially see going into training camp five point guards in this roster and then windling it down between the two-way contracts for some of these younger guys and also just deciding on who who you want to send out there too so like guys like Ish Smith or Corey Joseph which has been a popular name this weekend um, guys that are going to probably make anywhere between six and eight million and you don't have to bring them in on a one-year deal seems more beneficial to the Bulls than it does to sign Patrick Beverly to like two or three years of $15 million a year. And that goes same thing with Ricky Rubio because I think he's going to be in the same price range as well. So if you're looking at 12 to $15 million for those guys over a two to three-year span, I just don't think that that's the way that the Bulls should be steering themselves. I, I, I agree. Um, and, you know, another name that, uh, you know, we, we keep hearing Ish Smith, we keep hearing Corey Joseph, one that... Um, I've kind of started people, you know, uh, I st- started hearing people bring him up again. I, he's a guy who, you know, uh, appears in our text line uh, quite a bit since the season ended is Alfred Payton, um, a guy who would certainly be a different veteran option on the cheap. I mean, he, he's coming off a one year deal worth three million dollars that he that he signed with the Pelicans this season after, uh, you know, the 17, 18 season was split. Uh, playing for two different teams because he got traded, he kind of had a you know an off and on year, but he finished the season healthy and in those final uh, stretch of games, February, March, and April, he was averaging you know uh, a, like like a twelve points per game and and more importantly like close to nine or ten assists per game. I'm I mean there's there's still holes to his game that I don't love. He's never been a very confident three point shooter, which is something that we keep talking about at this you know backcourt spot. Um, whether it's a starting point guard playing alongside Levine and spreading the floor or a, a scorer off the bench, a shooter off the bench. I, I don't love that. But as far as the other options and the fact that we, you know, we talk about Kobe White being a solid addition, but still this team needing a true facilitator. Alfred Payton is an underrat, uh, underrated facilitator and, and passing point guard who you don't hear a whole lot of teams excited about going and, and making Alfred Payton an offer this summer. The Bulls, that could be another option, another avenue that they pursue if they deem guys like Beverly and also Rubio, as you mentioned, to be too expensive. Yeah, Alfred Payton only played seven games in the first three months of the season last year, uh, but then bounced back, played 12 in January, played four in February, 15 in March, and then four in April. In that span, though, you're spot on, though. February, March, and April, 11.3 points, 5.5 rebounds, 9 assists a game. And then in March, when he played almost a full month in 15 games, 11.3 points, 7.3 rebounds, and 8.9 assists. So it's exactly what the Bulls are looking for, right? Especially if you're looking to pair him alongside guys who are very ball-dominant and need the ball in their hands in order to score. And also you need to be able to facilitate to market in Porter and Carter at the same time, plus your bench pieces. So I could definitely see an Alfred Payton type, and he lines up more in terms of age-wise. If he ends up working out, the Bulls could rearrange to for a long-term deal, and he is in line with guys like marketing Zach Levine. Otto Porter Jr., Wendell Carter, Kobe White, Daniel Gafford, which makes more sense to the core than signing a guy that's 29 or 30. Yeah, and I think that's kind of along the lines of what my, what my issue is with some of the older vets that they're pursuing because I mean we do know that the Bulls are also I mean they want to add veterans that um 
you know, that are going to be leaders on this team. That, and that's part of the point. So it's not you, you don't want to get guys in free agency who are as young as the rest of the core. Certainly, according to what we've heard from Paxton, that's not. You know, that, that's not the focus with their free agents. And, you know, this is it was a part of his conversation. And, you know, I cracked a joke about signing Wade again on Twitter about it. But um, in earnest, when Paxson was talking with uh, with my guys, Mark Kendall and Will on the Bulls Talk podcast um, late on draft night, he said, we don't want a mistake on bringing the wrong type of guy in here. Our young guys are too important to us. We need vets who are going to nurture them as people and players. That's really important. So I guess it'll, you know, you have to think about what it comes down to when the Bulls are pursuing these these players in free agency and how much do they value what they're doing on the court and how much do they value who they are as men and as leaders uh, and as examples for the young guys to follow. Because Paxson also did say, it's not like we just want to bring in guys who are veterans because they're veterans, but we want our vets to play and we want healthy competition between our young guys and our veterans. So like, in an ideal world, you have that, but you also, in your recent rearview mirror, have issues with this team having chemistry and locker room problems because of competition of playing time between vets and young guys. So you have to be careful how you work through that in free agency. That's why I feel like more and more Taj Gibson's going to come back, So, which isn't a bad thing at all. I would love to see Taj Gibson in a Bulls uniform, but... Maybe that's why they're going to spend a little less on the point guard. The dude who kept the peace as long as possible as the Bulls locker room was fracturing at the tail end of those rows. And For sure. Years. And who knows? Maybe uh, weird things will happen this summer and maybe Robin Lopez takes a little bit of less money and to come back as well, which would make it make for kind of a loaded front court, if you ask me, and not a lot of playing time there if you're bringing Taj and Robin back. But that's a different discussion for a different day. But in terms of... Well, yeah. And, and how much, how much, how many minutes do you want to see our second round rookie pick down? Daniel Gafford get you know in his first year right and speaking of Daniel Gafford did a lot of research this weekend and a lot of film on Daniel Gafford and watching him from the last two seasons and Matt I will start with this is I'm very impressed by watching his film you know we talked about some of the weaknesses right off the bat on Friday's episode about his game but things that we did love uh for Bulls fans that are freaking out that he didn't take any three-point shots in college And more to that is he only took 18 jumpers in 30 games in his rookie season, and then it was like less than 40 last year. So we're talking about a guy that doesn't have all that great of a jump shot, but can finish around the rim excellently, is great in pick and roll, and runs the floor unbelievably well for a dude that's 6'11", like unbelievably well. And so the first thing that I thought about when I was watching him is I'm trying to think, and we're talking about player comps, and it's really hard to do it, and you also hate to do it. But I kept getting this comp of watching Willie Cauley-Stein play, and I feel like Daniel Gafford and Willie Cauley-Stein, and the way that they're both super long and athletic, kind of a skinnier big man, uh, both run the floor really, really well, are really good in transition, especially being able to finish. Uh, just going up and catching lob dunks, I think Daniel Gafford, if there was one elite skill, that's that, is dunking the ball and catching lobs. Willie Cauley-Stein, the same thing. Look, Willie Cauley-Stein is a way better defender coming out of college than Daniel Gafford is. But I still see a lot of similarities there. And while Willie Cauley-Stein coming out of college 
didn't shoot the ball all that well and wasn't that big of an offensive piece. I think Daniel Gafford brings that side to him too. So you lose a little bit on the defense in this comparison, but you gain some in the offense. And Daniel Gafford showing that he could score 17 points a game at Arkansas. So that's my player comp for him. I know a lot of people are going towards Clint Capella, but I see a little bit more of Willie Cauley-Stein in him than I do see in Clint Capella. Yeah, that, that's fair. And look, I mean, it's not like Clint Capella has morphed into this amazingly gifted offensive player when you talk about versatility and ways to score. Um, and and I think that, you know, Daniel Gafford is a guy who, what I keep hearing is, to his credit, he knows what he's about. He knows what his skill set is, and he uses it effectively. And not all of your bigs have to be three-point shooters. That's certainly the the trend and the way things are going in the NBA is ideally having stretch fours and fives. But you still need just monster bigs who are rim protection guys and maybe they're not shooters but it, it you know the other really important factor is that they can run the floor for guys their size and that's the thing that you see get Daniel Gaffers do really well when you watch his tape especially that one you know it was a part of the highlight packages they showed on draft night when he got drafted and it's a part of every highlight package I've seen on YouTube over the, over the weekend is the one where it was the game where he had like seven or eight blocks um, and it was he got a monster block, hundred percent clean. Just swatted it. It was such. It was so loud because the block was so clean. And then runs the entirety of the floor, outruns the opponent's defense in transition, and gets rewarded. And it lend, uh, ended up being that amazing windmill dunk. So like that's the kind of stuff that you know that this bulls this bulls regime was always so high on high motor big guys. Maybe he can't shoot. Whatever, he can't shoot. He can't shoot. But he finished top five in the SEC in blocks both of his college seasons, and he runs the floor really well, and he finishes at the rim with with pretty remarkable accuracy. So to me, that is something that you can hang your hat on as a player and as a role player in today's NBA. I can't wait to watch him in summer league, and I'm really hoping that you know, depending on what shakes out with the Bulls and free agency and signing a vet Frank work guy, Taj Gibson or otherwise, we still let, uh, you know, we still see this kid play some minutes because, I mean, every team needs those high motor energy guys. And let's be honest, Bulls fans love those guys. Bulls fans tend to fall in love with those guys. They might be more grit and grind <laughs> Jim Boylan style than they are, uh, you know, as, as, as aesthetically pleasing Um and and you know perfect you know perfect uh, polished ball players. Chicago loves those players. Always have a little bit more on D- uh, Willie Cauley Stein and Daniel Gafford. The comparisons between the two. Uh, Gafford was the 36th overall prospect in the top 100 in the 2017 class. Willie Cauley Stein was number 38 in 2012. Height a little bit shorter. Daniel Gafford is at six ten. Six ten and a half. He's listed at with shoes. Wingspan is seven two and a quarter, and his weight is two thirty seven point six. This was all from the NBA Combine. Willie Cauley Stein was seven seven feet and a half. Wingspan at seven three and two forty two point four. Standing reach though, which is actually incredible for Daniel Gafford, who's two or three inches shorter than Willie Cauley Stein, is nine two standing reach. Body composition of five point nine percent body fat. Uh, 9.3 for Willie Cauley-Stein at 6.3% body fat. The thing that I was impressed by is the 
you know, you don't have to buy too much into this in the combine, but I'm always really interested in what kind of shape these guys are in, especially for big men. Um, a guy like Nas Reed, who people were talking about taking in the second round, he had a body fat percentage of like 15%, which is massive compared to what Daniel Gafford has. Just looking at some of the other things that they were doing, like a max vertical leap of 36.5 inches, which is huge for Gafford. Um, so a couple other things with Willie Cauley-Stein and him, but then there were some quotes from Mike Anderson, his former head coach, uh, of Arkansas and was also Bobby Portis's coach. Um, here's what he had to say after his rookie season. Uh, when he's on the court, Gafford's dominance has been enough to remind some of former SEC Player of the Year Bobby Portis, armed with a fierce sense of determination. Goes along with his 36-inch vertical jump, seven foot two wingspan, twelve foot four maximum jump. The first year comparisons appear to be well justified. So Mike Anderson says this. I will say this. He's got a chance to be one of the best and most athletic big men we've ever had. Uh, Now the other stuff has to come along with the skill part and all of that. But you cannot knock his desire desire to be a great player. So that's really good to hear. Uh, That was the one thing that we really loved about Bobby Portis is the will to just want to get better and believe in himself. And I think that's what we're going to get with Daniel Gafford as well. And I think a lot of people got a sneak peek in that when he was drafted in the cameras were on him and he instantly just started breaking down in tears like most prospects did and um you know not not to knock on bobby and i can't remember exactly what bobby's was from the combine but i'm pretty certain that uh, gafford's vertical is bigger than bobby's i mean bobby has never been much of a leaper um and in that sense also i think gafford has a much higher upside on the defensive end bobby's an energy guy just like gafford in a high motor guy but between his, uh, you know, his lack of technique and skill on the defensive end, and the fact that he he's not actually that athletic, he's just a guy with a big frame. Uh, Bobby was never a real shot block threat on the defensive end, and I think Gafford can be. Uh, especially, I mean, just seeing some of those games where he's racking up close to ten blocks a game. He had seventy six his rookie, uh, his uh, his freshman year. He had sixty five more his uh, his sophomore year. The the defensive upside is there as well with Gafford. Obviously, you know he's 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 going to be a guy who's who who will struggle in switch situations and uh, guarding smaller players out around the perimeter when that when that happens to him. And just like Wendell or any other big who's very young making their way into the NBA, he can work on that. But the you know the height, the wingspan that you mentioned, plus his leaping ability, I do see some much more upside on the defensive end with him than we had with Bobby. Bobby Portis' standing reach was nine feet as opposed to Daniel Gafford's, which is nine two or nine three. Um, so yeah, you're you're definitely right about that. Uh, but I, and I think Bobby's offensive game is way more polished coming into the NBA than maybe Daniel Gafford's is going to be. Well, and but you know Bobby can knock down threes occasionally, and, and you know also some mid range stuff. Like even if Gafford can knock down like a, a find find himself a reliable fifteen to eighteen foot jumper, I think that you know even that will will expand his offensive game. And even if he never turns into a threat behind the three point line, that's okay. But um, you know, you, you just hope that he can find some ways to score other than rolling to the rim because he certainly seems to be a guy who could be very effective in that. As regard. long as the Bulls put shooters around him, you don't necessarily need to worry about right. having him create it, at least having to worry about his jump shot right away. And for Bulls fans out there, you got to be very patient with him too. Like two or three years, 
two or three years for Daniel Gafford to develop, at least start to develop a jump shot and be confident enough to start using it in games. So you're not going to see that right away, I don't think. Uh, But the idea that he can score around the rim and be a really, really good finisher and pick and roll. I mean, I talked about it a few days ago, podcast last week. He's 82 percentile, according to Synergy, in finishing on as the role man. So that's really good to see as well. And that's why you're seeing him score a ton of points. And in terms of putbacks, too, he was in the top 10 in college basketball last year. So that's also good to see. And with shooters around him off the bench, I think that's going to help. And even in roles where maybe Jim Boylan mixes things up, you see Zach Levine maybe running some of that second unit to start to try and split him and Kobe White up, but also split him and Chris Dunup if they decide not to sign one of these bigger type of point guards like Ricky Rubio or Patrick Beverly. Yeah, and again, like you said, uh, I think it'll be dictated by who it is that's running that second unit offense. Defensively, uh, which which Boylan might tinker around with a little bit throughout the season, but I mean that that's um, we're hearing at least for now that the plan is to keep Chris Dunn around and make it an open competition at point guard. I would not be surprised if Dunn ends up being um, a piece of the backcourt off the bench. Um, and staying in his final year of his rookie deal. I've never really had that much confidence in Dunn as a pick-and-roll point guard. Um, he certainly also seems to struggle with his his entry passes, and he's never been a great lob passer. And those are all the situations where Daniel Gafford can thrive. So whether it's Dunn or somebody else, I think Gafford's effectiveness will be directly tied to who's running that offense. Yeah, the one thing I really like about Gafford's defense, especially, is he can switch on to guards and wings. I was watching a lot of what he was doing on the defensive side of the ball, and he was able to to stay with wings. And even if some of the wings or the guards blew past him, his, his wingspan and his ability to move side to side has helped him a lot. And you see him get a lot of blocks from behind, especially in his freshman year. He had way more blocks than he did in his sophomore season. I don't know if that's just because he was playing a little bit more and he had some other guys alongside him in Arkansas in his sophomore season. But regardless, it's good to see a big man that can can switch on to multiple guys. And that's exactly what we're getting with Wendell Carter Jr. in the starting role. Um, I'll leave you guys with this. So college basketball players who average more than 15 points, seven rebounds, and effective field goal percentage over 60% in one single season. 2018-2019, it was Daniel Gafford, Brandon Clark, and Zion Williamson. 2017-2018, DeAndre Ayton, Marvin Bagley, Jawan Morgan, Dylan Windler. John Collins, TJ Leaf in 16-17, Bryce Johnson, Alec Peters, Jakob Pertl, Damanis Sabonis in 15-16, 14-15, Jaleel Okafor, 2012-2013, Doug McDermott, Kelly Olynyk, 2011-2012, Robert Covington, Doug McDermott, Kenneth Fareed, Marcus Morris, Derek Williams in 10-11, Blake Griffin and Patrick Pe- uh, Patrick Patterson in 2008-2009, 2006-2007, Jared Dudley, Carl Landry, Greg Oden, 2004-2005, Andrew Bogut and Carl Landry. Here's the rest of the list from the uh, early 2000s and late 90s. Chris Kamen, Carlos Boozer, Michael Bradley, Elton Brand, Brad Miller, Wally Zerbiak, Tim Duncan, Keith Van Horn, Rashid Wallace, Chris Webber. So that's really, really good company to be in for a guy that just got picked out of the second round. Did you hear the name of all those epic Bulls bigs of the of the past? Boozer, Elton Brand, Brad Miller. What an awesome list. 
It is cool to see that a lot of those guys were taken in the first round, and a lot of those guys have had pretty decent careers. Not some of them. Some of them are stars, obviously Tim Duncan and those guys, but some of them are have been quality role players for a decade plus, and I think that's all you, you can ask for. And if you get that out of a second round pick, it's unbelievable. They talked about him in his fr- freshman year, though, about being a potential first round pick, being in the top twenties. He went back to for the second year looking to do a little bit more development and I don't know if that was from getting it from scouts or from what he heard from the combine Um, but yeah he was projected as a first round pick in his rookie season came back in his sophomore year and the Bulls were lucky enough to scoop him up in the second round so I think the Bulls found a diamond in the rough a gem in Daniel Gafford if you dig deeper and watch the actual film outside of just seeing some of the weaknesses like not being able to shoot in the modern NBA there's a lot of bigs in the NBA right now that can't shoot a three and still have been been able to play super effectively absolutely um and i think you know depending on how his development goes he he could end up being a great value uh with that 38th pick which you know bulls fans over the course of recent history get really frustrated when they either sell the picks in that second round or don't find the right guy like you know remember paul zipser from a few years ago paul zipser who were high on alfred would would argue that you know you could sell all of your second round picks for the rest of time because you never find any value there but that's just simply not true um and this team was couldn't even sell that pick if they wanted to because they had already reached that max level but you have to hope that the bulls did their due diligence with gafford and and the upside that we see watching the tape on him is, uh, is the same kind of stuff that they saw and the potential in him. And thank God they actually had people on their board um, at pick 38 this time around. And I'm really excited to watch him in summer league. I'm guessing he's going to get a lot of run. Uh, probably, you know, even a decent chance that he'll start on the summer league team, uh, especially if Wendell doesn't play. And uh, speaking of which, we, we got our first uh, sneak peek of that summer league schedule over the weekend. The Bulls kick off summer league July 5th against L.A. Lakers and uh, their second round pick, Horton Tucker, our pal from Simeon slash Iowa State that the Bulls miraculously passed on. Uh, that's 630 Central Time, July 5th. We play the Cavs July 7th, also at 630. Uh, the new look Pelicans with Zion and all July 8th, 8.30 Central Time. And then the Charlotte Hornets July 10th at 4 p.m. Those last two on NBA TV. Uh, so looking forward to Summer League, man. That's going to about do it here on Locked on Bulls. Hit us up on our text and voicemail line. We'll be doing mailbag on Wednesday. Try to get to that. We'll make that more of a longer episode. Get to your reaction from the draft as well as any questions you guys have going into free agency. Tomorrow's episode will break down the player press conference from Kobe White and Daniel Gafford, which is happening today at 2 p.m. We'll also get to John Paxson, too. After draft night, we still haven't talked in full about his quotes and what he had to say about the two draft picks. So we'll spend a lot of time on the two press conferences tomorrow's episode, and then we'll get to all of your reaction and all of your questions on Wednesday's episode. Hit us up, 331-979-1369, the place to do that. Drop us your text and your voicemails. You can always tweet at us at LockedOnBulls, at Jordan C. Malley, and at Bulls underscore Peck on Twitter. 
We're live on Dash Radio every Tuesday, Thursday, and Saturday, 10 a.m. Eastern, 9 a.m. Central Time. For Matt Peckham, Jordan Malley, Bulls Nation, have a wonderful day. We'll be back tomorrow with a fresh episode. For Jordan and Matt, we are out. Deuces. Locked on Bulls, a show for the most passionate fan base in the NBA. Hosts Jordan Malley and Matt Peck dive into the best Bulls news and stories around the NBA. Locked on Bulls is live on Dash Radio every Tuesday, Thursday, and Saturday, starting at 10 a.m. Eastern, 9 a.m. Central. For more content and to stay up to date, head over to LockedOnBulls.com.